Amen, because I'm sowing a lot of people out of here. All right. How many of you are ready to go through the Word tonight? And they've got, I think George has, how many people in that fight in the rock, George? Huh? 51 people were sowing down there to find the rock. So I don't care where they are as long as they're in the building, and that's fine with me. We're going to look tonight at El Shaddai, and uh, we're going through the names of God. Let me ask you all, what's in a name? What's in a name? A lot is in a name, especially if you are Almighty God and you name yourself. And before I flick on this uh, transparency, let me just remind you that, um, well, let's just read this first and then we'll, I'll go over that. Let's stand for reading one verse tonight, El Shaddai. Remember that song Amy Grant did, El Shaddai? All right, here we go. Let's read it together, can we? And when Abram was 99 years old, Jehovah appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Walk before me and be perfect, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Now catch that. God revealed himself to Abraham in Genesis 17 for the very first time as El Shaddai right here. Father, we just thank you for your word, and we pray that you will inspire our own faith, for El Shaddai is with us tonight through the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, build our faith and build our understanding, and Lord, more than anything, we say with Paul that I may know you. We want to know you, Lord. Better than we've ever known you before, we want to know you. Lord, open our understanding and teach us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. We've uh, been learning that there is uh, that God, over the centuries, beginning way back in Genesis 1, when He first revealed Himself as who? Elohim. 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 The first name of God that he ever revealed, and by revealing himself as Elohim, he was revealing himself as the Creator, the Creator God. Then he revealed himself as Jehovah. And now tonight, we're looking at the third name by which God revealed himself. And every time that God gave a name, he was wanting us to understand an aspect of his character. This is the way, because we can't see God. He's in heaven. We're here. How are we ever going to come to know him? God said there's power in a name. What's in a name? Your understanding of me is in a name. So we understand Elohim and Jehovah. And now tonight, El Shaddai. Now, so far we've looked at two powerful names for God. Elohim and Jehovah. We've seen that God's revelation of himself through his names was an exceedingly long process. For instance, the full significance of the name Jehovah was understood only after centuries of unfolding of events in Israel's history. When God first revealed the name Jehovah, they didn't get it. They didn't fully understand it for centuries until Moses came to deliver them from Egypt. Then they really began to grasp what Jehovah meant. The name Jehovah means the ever-existent one, the eternal the one continually revealing himself and his ways and his purposes. 
But it took from Abraham to Moses for God's people to understand even the name Jehovah. God is the ever-existent one. That's a mind-blower for me. I've never been able to wrap my mind around eternity. And I don't think you can either. How do you go back where there is no end? How do you go forward where there is no end? All you and me are is a blink sandwiched in between two eternities. That's all we are. I mean, I'm significant, but in the overall scheme of things, bloop, you were there and you were gone. Bloop. What is your life, James said? It's like a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You're there, you're gone. You live your life out, you're gone. But Jehovah, as far back as you want to go, that's what the name means, the ever-existent one. He's eternal. And you are an eternal being. You were created, you were born, you did have a beginning, but your spirit has no end. And in that respect, we're like God in that our spirits have no end. God said, let us make man in our own image. And so even though we were born, we have not always existed like God. Your spirit is what Christ came to redeem because that spirit inside of you is eternal. And I just, I can't, I can't go there with my, my brain. I short circuit about two trillion mile or two, about two trillion years down the road. I just short circuit. Can't think about it. Can you say with me, no end. Now with Jehovah, no beginning. No beginning. Now while it took Israel centuries to fully grasp the name Jehovah, God was known especially to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, by the name God Almighty or in the Hebrew, El Shaddai. And I kind of did a little transliteration there to show you how you would pronounce it. So can you say with me, El Shaddai. El Shaddai. That's how you say it. Now the name El Shaddai first appears in God's dealings with Abraham, the verses we just read. In the verse above, it was El Shaddai who covenanted with Abraham to make him a great nation and to multiply him exceedingly. Abraham's story is so powerful. I'm going to focus on it a lot tonight. What an amazing man the father of our faith really was. After years of disappointment and testing, where he had been promised a child and no child came, God's promise was finally fulfilled when Abraham and Sarah conceived Isaac. Abram's name was changed to Abraham at the time of his revelation of God as El Shaddai. I'm going to go into that in depth in just a little bit. But what's in a name? What's in the name El Shaddai? The word for God here is the first part of El Shaddai, El. El Shaddai, or God Almighty. In the first week, we learned that the name Elohim is derived primarily from the word El, E-L, El. El stands for might, power, omnipotence, and is the name especially connected with creation. Elohim is the only name used for God as you uh, read about the creation of the universe and of the world. Elohim is the name that was used. Moses says of God, for instance, what El 
what L, E-L, what L, might, power, and omnipotence is there in the heavens or in the earth who can do according to your works and according to your might? If you read it in the Hebrew, it's what L is there? There's not another one. You're the only one. L is also the word that is often used to denote God's power to interpose or intervene. So Nehemiah calls upon the great, the mighty, and the terrible L, E-L, to intervene in behalf of his people. He literally said, L, help us. And in their understanding, E-L, L, El Shaddai, the beginning of the word, El, meant the mighty, the terrible, the awesome, the powerful, omnipotent God. This word L is also translated by such words as might and power when it comes to men in the Bible. Watch this. For instance, Laban says to Jacob, it is in the power, L, of my hand to do you hurt. It is in the L of my hand to do you hurt. I have the power, Jacob, to hurt you. We read uh, in Proverbs 3.27, withhold not good from them to whom it is due when it is in the what, everybody, the power or the L of your hand to do it. So even as regards men, you and me, when L was used, it meant to have the might or the power to do a thing. Okay? But when it was talking about God, it was talking about almighty power, an awesome God. In light of all this, it's clear that the name God Almighty or El Shaddai abundantly expresses the idea of all might and all power. The Bible wants us to understand that our God is not a sissy. Our God is not impotent. Our God is not weak. He is almighty, all-powerful, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God, the ruler of the universe who answers to nobody, the self-existent one who has always been and always will be, who holds the whole universe in the palm of his hand. And not a sparrow falls to the ground that God does not know about it. L. How much power in two little words, two little letters. Now, that being said, how is the second half of the name to be interpreted? The Shaddai or the Almighty part? So we've dealt with El. Now let's look at Shaddai. Going back to Elohim for just a moment. One scholar has pointed out a distinction. I want you to catch this distinction. Elohim is the God who creates nature and supports it so that it continues. You remember when Paul the Apostle said, I believe in Colossians, where he said, he said, all things are held together by the word of his power. So this universe we live in is sustained by the word of God. It is being held together by the very Word of God. And when the time comes for God to wrap this whole thing up, all He does is speak and it's done. It's being the, the atoms, the molecules, the whole, all atomic structures, all that God has created, the building blocks of matter are being held together by the Word of His power, according to Paul. That's powerful stuff. Talk about E.F. Hutton. When God speaks, 
All right. It's powerful stuff, these names. I, I love it. I'm just devouring this study. I, I love it. All right, so Elohim is the one who creates nature and supports it or sustains it so that it continues. But El Shaddai, on the other hand, is the God who compels nature to do what is contrary to itself. As in the case of Abraham and Sarah, who against the laws of nature conceived a child, quote, his own body already dead, and in spite of the deadness of Sarah's womb, El Shaddai said, it is my will that a child be born, so when I want to, I can defy the nature I've created. That's El Shaddai. So Elohim sustains it, but El Shaddai, oh man, I tell you, it's powerful stuff. In the two names, Elohim and El Shaddai, we find the creator and the sustainer of the world, and also the mighty God who can defy the nature he created if necessary. And I couldn't help but thinking about Jesus today when I was getting this ready. Because think about the ministry of Jesus Christ who operated so often as El Shaddai. Time and again, he raised the dead. He spoke to the wind and the sea and told them to stop, and they stopped. He walked on the water contrary to nature, contrary to gravity. So Jesus could operate as Elohim. He could create because we saw him heal. We saw him make uh, we saw him create several times in his ministry, and the devil tempted him to turn the stones into bread, knowing that he could do it if he decided to, because he knew that he was Elohim. John said, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was very God, and all that God entails. He was Elohim, he was Jehovah, he was El Shaddai, he was Adonai. And so, with many of his miracles, he moved and operated as El Shaddai. That's powerful. But there's more of this powerful name, El Shaddai. Shaddai is found 48 times in the Old Testament, and it's always translated Almighty. Another word very similar to it, and from which it likely derived, occurs 24 times and is translated breast. Now listen carefully, this is powerful. As connected with the word breast, the title Shaddai signifies one who nourishes, supplies, and satisfies. And when connected with the word El, it becomes the one mighty to nourish, mighty to satisfy, and mighty to supply. I tell you, just let that sink in for a second because we're reading here about the God who blesses, the God who nourishes, the God who takes care of you and me. You know, uh, God, the name Theos, that's male. In Hebrew and Greek, any language you want to bring up in the Bible language, Theos, Hebrew and Greek. But there is a nurturing side to God. And here we're being told that El Shaddai, as El Shaddai, he's the one mighty to nourish and satisfy and supply. And once you understand his name, is it, is it so much easier to believe him to provide for you? 
because his very name means it. Now with God as the object, the idea becomes even stronger and comes to mean the one who sheds forth and pours out sustenance and blessing. That's the meaning of the name. He sheds forth and pours out blessing and sustenance. So when you say, Lord, man, the, the bills are coming due. El Shaddai hears that. Now, we're going to be talking about Jehovah Jireh later on in this series, but I want you to see that when God revealed this name of his, he was letting us know, I'm a nourisher. I'm going to take care of you. I can't deny you. To, to deny you is to deny myself. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide. I'm going to nourish you. I'm going to satisfy you. I am going to be your all in all. I'm going to be your sufficiency. You're going to learn that I'm really all that you need. Now, watch this. God then is, say it with me, everybody, the all-sufficient, the all-bountiful one. That's God. Great example here is Jacob on his deathbed blessed all of his sons. Remember that? Blessed all of his sons and prophesied over their future. Some of them got good news. Some of them didn't get such good news. But when he came to Joseph, Joseph got good news. And he said this about Joseph, the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. Now, I put the Hebrew in here so you'll catch it. Even by the God L of your father. And he's going to help you. And by the almighty Shaddai, who shall bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies underneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. This is Jacob prophesying over his son. He said, Joseph, the, the way that you made it through all the betrayals, through all of the imprisonment, through all of being abused and misused and, and tread upon by man, when your brothers ripped you off and Potiphar's wife lied about you, all that you went through, Joseph, it was El who carried you. It was El who carried you. How many of you can say, I know El has carried me, all right? It was El who carried you. And then he says, but guess what? Shaddai is going to keep on blessing you. And he's going to bless you from heaven. He's going to bless you with the deep that lies underneath and blessings of the breast and of the womb. He's going to bless you from every side. And when Jacob was referring to that part of God that blesses, he called him Shaddai. So, man, I'll tell you, I read this and I just say, Lord, I need this and I need, and you know what I need here and you know what I need there. And I'm asking you, and when I understand this name, I know that El Shaddai, that El is going to carry me and Shaddai is going to bless me. El is going to strengthen me and Shaddai is going to nourish me. I know that my God is going to take care of me. And no weapon formed against me will prosper. And every tongue that rises against me in judgment, I will condemn. Because El the mighty is with me, and Shaddai the blesser and nourisher is at my side. Amen. So it's really, really powerful stuff. You know, let's just thank the Lord for a minute. Let's just thank the Lord for El who carries us and fights for us and Shaddai who provides for us, and some of you need provision, why not just thank God, thank El Shaddai, that he's your provider. 
Father, we just thank you that you're the mighty God who carries us. And you are Shaddai who nourishes us and strengthens us and blesses us and cares for us and nurtures us with good things from heaven. Thank you, Lord God. Lord, we thank you for financial provision. We thank you, Lord, for the all provision that we need mentally, spiritually, physically. Thank you, Lord, for the sweet presence and the care of El Shaddai. In Jesus' name. Well, I'll tell you, I could just have a worship session right now and just forget the rest of the message. I could. Now catch this, it's very powerful. It is God as El who helps us by his great power, but it is God as Shaddai who abundantly blesses with all manner of blessings. Our God is the shedder forth of blessings, the all-sufficient and the all-bountiful one. And when he revealed that name to Abraham, he knew exactly what he was saying. Now as El, he's able to save to the uttermost. As Shaddai, he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask for or even think about. Isn't that good news? Now, I want to consider Abraham for a moment, uh, so powerful. I want you to really drink this in, let it feed your faith, let it encourage you wherever you are in your life, because Abraham's story is really something. When he received the promise of a child, he was already on in years. As time stretched on, Abram took matters into his own hands, and Ishmael was born. I want you to really understand something here. Ishmael was born of Hagar born of the will of man, born of the will of the flesh, but not born of the will of God. Now, does that diss a whole race of people? No, because God took care of Ishmael. When Ishmael grew and was cast out of Abraham's house, God cared for Ishmael, and God loves all Arab people. But I want you to see a truth here, okay? Ishmael was a work of the flesh, Ishmael was not the will of God, not the highest will of God for Abraham. But even after Ishmael was born, God waited 13 more years. Abraham waited 25 years for the promise to come to pass. That's a long time, sitting around under a tent. That's just a long time, okay? By the time of Isaac's conception had arrived, uh, Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 99. Now, what is the Bible saying by that? God now appeared again. He appeared with the same promise. Abraham said, as Abram, before his name was changed, when God came to him, he said, shall a child be born to him that is 100 years old? And shall Sarah that is 99 years old conceive? How many can say that's a legitimate question? That's a legitimate question. Now, Paul the Apostle chimes in on this, and he says in Romans 4, 19 through 21, he lets us know that even though Abram asked this question, it was not a question filled with doubt that doused his faith. Because Paul tells us that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God and did not consider 
his own body as good as dead, he didn't consider it, or Sarah's, and was fully persuaded that what God promised he was able to perform. Now, I've told you every once in a while I'm going to show you a Greek word when it's really worth showing to you, because I want you to see this. I want to look at the word consider. I want you to catch the power of this, that he did not consider his impossibility. What does that mean? The, the Greek word is kata naeo. That's how you say it, kata naeo. Now, it's two words. Let's take the first one, kata. Kata means down. Naeo is to ponder, all right? What is that telling us? Abraham refused to bring the impossibility of his situation down into his thoughts. He refused to kata, bring down the constant pondering of his impossibility. He wasn't focused on the negative. Now, I don't know about you, but I was raised in a family that worried. I learned to worry from a little kid. I got relatives in New York. You don't want to worry about it? They'll worry about it for you. Just call them up. They'll worry for you. See, what a worrier does is a worrier always calls down into his mind all that is negative and impossible about the situation and ponders why it should not and cannot happen. It's telling us here that Abraham did not do that. He refused to do that. He refused to bring the impossibility of his situation down into his thoughts to the place that it negated his faith. He did not overponder his situation. He kept his eyes on God's promise instead. And he had 25 years to practice this. <laughs> 100 years old is 100 years old. And so, bluntly, sexually, his body was dead. And so was Sarah's. Now, I don't know about you, that's something to ponder. <laughs> if, if God has told me I'm going to have a child, we're going to, hey, baby, we're going to have a child. And you get to 100 years old, 99, and you're both kind of, you know, oh, hallelujah, that baby's coming someday. And, you know, I mean, time is marching on. How do you not focus on those sexually impotent bodies? If, if you're walking by faith, here's the father of our faith. He said, I'm not going to call down into my thoughts the impossibility of this situation. And where can you apply that in your life? I know how, listen, the bills are coming due. You don't have the money. How many of you are tempted to call down that reality into your thoughts? Oh, and you focus on that reality. I mean, look, this becomes a metaphor for all of life. Uh, how many things uh, in, in your life and mine have we seen that just look dead? And yet God said, no, it's going to live. Your, your marriage can look dead and God says it's going to live. You can focus on the deadness of your marriage or you can focus on the life of the promise. That's what Abraham did. He said, I got a promise. And folks, he didn't have this book. He didn't have a Bible. Moses wrote the first five books. There was no Bible till Moses all there was was he had, a, he had a kind of a sketchy understanding of Jehovah, 
that didn't even really fully materialize and come to fruition until Moses. He understood Elohim, the creator, but man, he didn't have a fraction of what we do. Yet Abraham said, I believe God. I mean, if you're Abraham, you're sitting in Ur of the Chaldees, and you go tell the relatives, the in-laws, and the outlaws that a voice has spoken to you to move out with your whole family and just start walking? Uh-huh. And when did this voice come to you, Abram? And how often have you heard this voice? Abraham was the father of our faith. And so I wanted you to catch this, that this is really powerful in the Bible. And we've got to live this way, you and me. You can focus on the negative and call down the reality of why it should not happen, or you can focus on the promise. It's your choice. The book of Hebrews also refers to Sarah's faith, who received strength to give birth when past age. How does a 99-year-old woman give birth? Oh, you know, I mean, hey, come on. My wife was 22, and I said, uh, and we were trying to do this high, what do you call it, the, the breathing thing. We went through all those classes. It was useless when she went to have her baby. I said, come on, breathe. She said, shut up and bring me some ice. I mean, all that training for nothing. All that training for nothing. Come on, breathe, honey. Forget breathing. I'm dying. <clears throat> yeah. But here's a 99-year-old woman gave birth with no hospital, no medication. Come on, y'all. Because she was focused on the promise. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. All right. It is at this juncture. Now catch this. It's at this juncture right here in Abram's life that God reveals himself as El Shaddai. Mighty in sufficiency and dispensing of his bounty, he's sufficient to revive the deadness of the human body. It is in this context and by this new name that God promises what only God can give. And here's the verse again. When Abram was 99, uh, uh, or 100 he was. So I messed up. When Abram, no, when Abram was 99 years old, Jehovah appeared to Abram right before the child was conceived and said to him, I am God Almighty. Who, everybody? El Shaddai. When he was 99, one year before the miracle, he appeared to Abram and said, I am El Shaddai. He said, who? I've never heard that name. I'm El Shaddai. Okay? Walk before me and be perfect. And I'm going to make my covenant between me and you, and I'm going to multiply you exceedingly. 99. One year before miracle time. Now, the bodies of them both had to die for the coming child to be all of God. And can I tell you something? Maybe God has let something in your life get to the place where it's dead so that when God does something, you're not going to get any credit because it's going to be a work of God. And that's why he's let it go this long, and now it just looks to you like it's hopeless. But God still speaks down into the tombs where there is death and brings life out of it. Okay, now, now why does this matter to those of us in the 21st century? Because God's salvation through Jesus Christ is also his gift to us 
and not earned. Not of works, lest any man should boast. The name El Shaddai taught Abraham his own insufficiency, the futility of relying upon his own efforts, and the folly of impatiently running ahead of God. Now let's talk real shop for a minute. The name El Shaddai teaches us some very important lessons in our own walk of faith, you and me. Here's the first one. It's futile to rely on your own efforts for what only God can do. If you're dealing with something only God can do, forget trying to help him. Abraham tried to help him. Now look, Moses told the people standing at the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army coming up behind them. Read it with me, can you? He said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord that he will show to you today. The Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Now you would think it's time for military action if they're coming up behind you. Let's fight. But no, El Shaddai said, no, you stop. You stand still. You just stand still. I'm going to fight for you. And you're going to hold your peace. I don't know if you've ever experienced God fighting for you. But I tell you, it's an awesome thing. Because when God fights for you, oh, it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long. When God's released on a situation and somebody's been persecuting you or tormenting you or harassing you or there is something else that you just need to give to God because you really can't do anything about it and he stands up to fight for you, it's an awesome thing. So we learn from El Shaddai, don't rely on your own efforts for what only God can do. El Shaddai is our one and only sufficiency. Now, second, impatience with God births Ishmael's. And you know what Ishmael's bring into your life? Pain and regret, sometimes for years to come. Anybody in here have an Ishmael? Don't raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about. It's when you're saying, Lord, I'm just sick and tired of waiting. I'm taking matters into my own hands. Just exactly what Abraham did. And the result was Ishmael. You know what you find out? You find out what he did. When Isaac began to grow, Ishmael began to persecute him. And let me tell you something. Your Ishmaels will always persecute the works of the Spirit. They'll always persecute the works of the Spirit. Sarah looked out the window one day, and here's the, the son of promise, Isaac. And Ishmael's mocking him, tormenting him, hassling him. And she said, he's got to go. Here's the deal. The works of the flesh in your life will always persecute the works of the Spirit. They always will. And so you find out walking in the flesh and walking with God ain't going to work. You've got to walk in the Spirit. Because if you're walking in the flesh, it's going to persecute the work of the Spirit in your life. And one day God's going to say, just what Sarah did, that's got to go. That's got to go. Y'all with me? Anybody in here have Ishmael's? I'll go ahead and come on, let me see. Ah, quite a few of you. The rest of you just aren't telling the truth. Those times when you thought you knew better than God. Now watch this. The birth of Ishmael proved to be a sore trial. 
not only in Abraham's household, but to Abraham's descendants, both physical and spiritual, all through the ages. Indeed, the Middle Eastern crisis that rages today is only Ishmael still resenting Isaac's birthright. There's just a bunch of them. But if you want to trace it back to roots, do you want to know why the hostility? All the newscasters are always wringing their hands. Why this hostility? All these philosophers and and secular intellectuals. I'll tell you what it is. It goes all the way back to Isaac and Ishmael and Ishmael being kicked out of the house. Because he wasn't the son of promise. And Abraham wanted him to be. Please let Ishmael live before you, he said. God said, no, no. He's not the son of promise. So he had to go. There has been enmity between the two ever since. And whether there's two of them or millions of them, it's never going to change. It's not ever going to change. Until Messiah comes and makes it right. Now, the third thing we learn is El Shaddai requires our full and complete faith and obedience. I want you to notice something. God told Abraham on revealing to him this new name, he gave a stipulation. He said, walk before me and be thou perfect. Perfect means complete or wholehearted. Not perfect, but wholehearted, mature, complete. Abraham's faith, frankly, had been marred by his excursion into the flesh. Now El Shaddai is saying, don't do that again. Don't do it again. I'm wanting to bring forth a son. You're a hundred. We need to get on with this. Don't do that again. Now there's one last time. Y'all being blessed tonight? You with me? All right, let me deal with one last angle to El Shaddai and we're done. Since the key to receiving God's sufficiency is to realize our own insufficiency, we must learn to empty ourselves. How many of you have realized that sounds pretty, but it's real hard to do? It sounds just so great when you talk about it in church. Oh, yeah, I'm just dying to myself. But wait till you really want something and God says, shut it down. And you got to really die to something that old self of yours wants? Sometimes only chastening can make us re-realize this truth that he's all-sufficient and I really get it and receive it when I don't go to myself for sufficiency. So in the chastings of God, I re-realize that truth. The same El Shaddai of the Old Testament is the one who in the New Testament chastens whom he loves. That being exercised thereby they may yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Our God will take us through chastenings from time to time. I don't understand these people that go around saying, God doesn't chasten you. All he does is bless you. Those people are fools. They haven't read my Bible. Because my Bible says he'll whoop you, take you out into the woodshed, and brother, you know you've been chastened by God. It's no fun. That's why I'd rather humble myself than have him do it. But now, I'm into biking. Me and Steve, we went another 20 miles uh, Monday, and I really like biking. Here's what I noticed. Though. I was biking today. I was alone riding, and I got to thinking, 
I used to go about 8 to 10 miles when I would go on my own. And I noticed something. After I went 30 miles with Steve and about 500 others in Burleson, after I went about 30 miles, 8 miles was nothing. It was just like a blink. And what I realized is, this is what exercise is all about. You increase your capacity for more and more as you exercise. So today I went 10 miles and it was just like nothing. I just didn't have any, any more time. But it didn't wear me out near like it used to. So I got to thinking on my ride home. We wonder sometimes why God tests us and tests our faith. And sometime I'll talk to you about the difference between a testing and a temptation, because there is a difference. But when God tests our faith, He always stretches you beyond where you have been. Now, I used to wonder, God, why are you doing this to me? Why? I love you. Why are you doing this to me? It's because God needs warriors in the last days. He needs some stout people of faith. So what He does is He stretches your faith. And when he stretches your faith, you never snap back to the original place. You've always got more capacity for faith when he has tested you. So that what used to wear you out a year ago in terms of faith, now it's a breeze. I remember when me and Kathy got our first church, we had to believe God for $100,000. For the whole thing. We're dealing in millions now. But you know what? I had to go through the hundreds of thousands and be stretched to where when the next level came, my faith had been stretched. Let me put it to you another way as we close. Jesus talked about the man who had a demon, and the demon was cast out. And when the demon was cast out, Jesus described this parable. He said, now the the inside of his soul is swept and clean and delivered and free. He said, what does that demon do? He goes out and he gets seven more and brings them back. And they enter that man, and the last state of that man is worse than his beginning. I used to wonder about that, and then I realized this. When you and I get blessed by God, when we get forgiven and we get filled with the Spirit, that enlarges your capacity for spiritual experience. So that if you continue in God, your capacity to experience spiritual blessings and faith and grace are expanded and strengthened and stretched more and more. But if you walk away from God, you have this much larger capacity now for spiritual experience. And so seven more come, and you're way worse than you ever were before. How'd that happen? Because your capacity had been expanded by God blessing you. That's why once you've been filled with the Spirit, walk with God, better not walk away. Because we'll see you someday, and you'll be way worse than we ever knew you before. So what is God doing with you and me? He chastens us. And that's part of El Shaddai's ministry. As the all-abounding, all-sufficient one, he finds it necessary at times to chasten us that we may, may bring forth more fruit. Jesus said of God, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he, that is El Shaddai, 
prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. So here we have the ministry of El Shaddai. Can we stand together and let's read this in summary? Read it with me, would you? El Shaddai is the Almighty One, the All-Sufficient, bountiful nourisher and blesser, and the one who chastens us that he might in turn bring forth even more fruit to his glory. Next week we're going to look at Adonai. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the ministry of El Shaddai. Thank you, Lord, that you are El, the Mighty One, and you are Shaddai, the nourisher, the one who nurtures us, carries us, and blesses us. Lord, I pray the blessing of El Shaddai upon this congregation and upon our radio friends. The blessing of El Shaddai, the mighty God, the mighty nourisher, the mighty provider, the mighty sustainer. We thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise tonight, can you? Hallelujah.